James chapter 1 and verse 19. James chapter 1 and verse 19. James writes, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Last Sunday morning, we considered the few verses before this reading in which we thought about God's gifts and how God blesses us with gifts from above. And in particular, we saw that the greatest gift of all was the gift of the new birth uh, that comes in response to the word of God. And so James now moves from this doctrinal truth, the idea that the new birth comes in response to the word of God, into a very practical truth. And this is very much how the book of James works. Uh, James is very concerned that our faith should work itself out. Now, he's not teaching us that we're saved uh, by works. Uh, we're saved by faith. But works uh, ought to be part and parcel of our testimony and of our experience. And so we're, uh, we're encouraged to good works by uh, James. Indeed, Paul does the same thing when he says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So James and Paul are saying exactly the same thing. If you have faith, faith should express itself in works. It should work itself out. Works should be a part of your life. You should be showing evidence of salvation. And so in this particular passage, James now moves from the thought of being born again into the practicalities of that, and he gives us a word of caution. And he says three things here, that there's something that we should be swift to do. Uh, there is something that we should be slow to do, and that is slow to speak. And then a second thing that we should be slow to do, we should be slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now what's he saying? What's he mean by these exhortations? Well, if you look in verse 19, he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear. That's about reception of the truth. That's about reception of the truth. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. The word wherefore is a conjunction. For those of you who are good with English grammar, that means it's a connecting word. It ties us in with verse 18. In other words, it's not a new thought that he's bringing out, but it's a continual thought. He's, he's teasing out the thought and having spoken to us in verse 18 about being born again of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He then goes on and speaks of the role of the scriptures in our salvation. And remember this, faith in the first instance comes high. It comes by hearing. So now he says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Swift to hear. He's talking about heeding the word of God. 
Now, there's a difference between hearing and listening, as every wife will tell you. How many times, men, does your wife say, are you listening? And are we listening? No. Are we hearing? Yes. We hear, but we're not listening. You know, it's like when you're watching the football or you're watching the rugby and your wife says, would you like a cup of tea? And you don't answer her. You're hearing her, but you're not listening to her. And she say, are you listening? And this is a problem that's not just a problem for men, but it's a problem for everybody. If you look in Matthew chapter 10, for example, and verse 14, the Lord Jesus says an interesting thing to his audience. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 14, he says, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you departed of that house or city, shake off the dust of your field. Whoever shall not hear your words. You know, is it that they can't audibly hear the words? Of course they can hear their words. It's not that these people they're going to are deaf, but they're possibly not going to give any heed to what is being said. And so the Lord says to his disciples by word of encouragement, listen, it's possible they may not hear your words. They're not going to actually listen to what you say because unless you respond to what's being said, you're not really listening to what is being said. If you go across the next chapter of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 15, the Lord says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Well, you know, again, that's a, a phrase that, you know, it's obvious, I guess, if we read it. But he's not saying, suggesting that the people who were listening there, who were standing there, lacked ears. He that hath ears to hear. Everybody had ears to hear. Uh, there was no physical problem with his audience. But having ears to hear is not the same as listening. And James is exhorting his believers to listen to the Scriptures. To heed the word of God. Do you know what? There are some Christian people for whom the judgment seat of Christ is going to prove to be a rather negative experience simply because they were not swift to hear the word of God. They weren't swift to hear the word of God. You know, there are people uh, who are at home this morning uh, who could be here, who maybe said, well, I'll just sit in and watch it online or, or whatever. And they, they could be here this morning, but they're not here this morning. And uh, they're not swift to hear, perhaps, the word of God. Uh, there are people who are here in this room this morning uh, who will not be here this evening. You need to be swift to hear the word of God. You know, some of you might say, well, uh, the pastor's not going to be here tonight, so I'll not come. Let me tell you something. That should not matter whether I'm here or not here. The Word of God is here. The Spirit of God is here. I'm not the most important person here. Christ is the most important person here. It's not what I say that matters. It's what the Word of God says that matters. And uh, I'm sure Mark's probably not appreciative of me drumming up an audience for his message tonight, but I hope he would have just as, uh, as large a group of people as might be expected if I was preaching tonight. We're to be swift to hear. Some people won't be here tonight, not because the pastor isn't here, but because it would break their normal Sunday evening routine, because Sunday evening is my time. It's my time before the fire. It's my time before the telly. I put my feet up and I watch my favorite show and I'm, I'm not coming to church. Well, you need to be swift to hear. 
He needed to come to the house of God. The Bible says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Do you understand what the Bible is saying there? It's saying that when God's people are gathered and the word of God is opened, you're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be swift to hear. This is Christianity 101. This is the very first things. When I was a young Christian, I took that decision that when the church doors were open, I'd be there. When the Bible was read, I'd be there. When the Bible was preached, I'd be there. And that's a decision you ought to take. Same thing is true of a, of a midweek meeting. You ought to be here. Why? Because we're opening the Word of God. We're opening the Word of God. You should be swift to hear. You know, uh, when we do come, we may audibly then hear what's being said. But James isn't just concerned that we audibly hear it. But he's concerned that we heed it. And he's going to go on and talk about being doers of the word and not hearers only. I wonder do we come expectantly to church on Sundays, longingly, looking forward to hearing what's going to be read, what's going to be preached, because we love the word of God and we love the God of the word. Because we understand the importance of all that it says. Look, this book is the word of God. It's not, a, it's not just a piece of classical writing. It's not just a, a piece of ancient literature. It's the Word of God. That's why you should be here when it's open Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. By the way, young people, you ought to be out on Wednesday night. Teenagers, you should be out on Wednesday night. You should decide that Wednesday night's not a games night. It's not a night to hang out with my friends. It's a night to be in the house of God. It's a night to learn something from the scriptures. It's an opportunity to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You should be here. Make it part of your routine. Come to the church and sit under the word of God and be ready to heed the word of God. That's one of the keys of spiritual growth, that you heed the word of God. You know, the new birth gives its first expression in a hunger for the Word. You know, when I first started out in the Christian life, and of course I'm going to be sharing my testimony tonight, uh, I'll have been saved uh, next month some 45 years. I can't believe I'm even saying that. I've been saved some longer than some of you have been alive. That's a scary thought, isn't it? But when I started out in the Christian life, I was hungry, hungry for the Word of God. I wanted to know what the Bible said. My wife, who at this point wasn't my wife, but was chasing me like crazy, she, she, uh, she came along one day with a, a pile of daily bread booklets. There must have been 12 of them. They're about... She says, here's some booklets for you. She knew I was hungry for the Word. She says, here's some booklets for you. You can read these. Of course, she was expecting me to take, a, a, take one a page a day and read them a page a day as they're supposed to be read. I read the whole lot of them in about a week. I came back to her the next week and says, those are really good. Have you any more? She says, have you read them already? I was hungry for the Word. 
The Bible says, as newborn babes desire ye the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. The word of God should be your food daily. And you should want to heed it. And preaching of the word, well, that occupies a unique place in the plan and program of God and the purposes of God. You see, Romans 10, 14, we read it last week, how shall they hear without a preacher? That's the question that is asked. Paul says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save some. Writing to Titus, Paul said that God manifested his word through preaching. That's God's choice. If preaching is God's ordained method of communication, then understand something. If God sets store by it, if God gives primacy to it, how carefully and how seriously ought we to listen to the Word of God? Can I encourage you to do something? And this is something you rarely see done in this, in this church. I want to encourage you to start thinking about taking notes. Take notes. It's the messages that are being preached. Write down little notes, things that stuck out to you. Questions you maybe have. Something you learned, a promise to hold to. You see, if you take notes, it, it aids your concentration. If you take notes, it, it, it aids memorization. You know, a number of people come out of this church and they say to me, well, that was a great message. I'll never remember all that. Well, of course you'll never remember it all. Do you think I remember it all? Gotta take notes. And not only to do that, it prevents distraction. That's what I do. You know, no matter who's preaching, you can watch any Sunday that we have another preacher here, and I'm sitting where you're sitting. I have a little note and I look a little page out and I'm taking notes of what the preacher said. It's not because I maybe don't understand or don't know, it simply helps me to stay concentrated, to stay focused. So I want to encourage you to do that. But the Lord Jesus said this. He said in Luke 8, 18, Take heed therefore, now listen to what he says, How ye hear. Didn't only just say, Take heed of what you hear. He says, Take heed therefore, How you hear. How do you hear? How do you listen to the preaching of God's word? How do you listen to the preacher? Do you listen casually? Do you listen critically? Do you listen conscientiously? When I first started out preaching, there used to be a fellow, when I was in Dublin, I'd get invited to this church to preach. Thank the Lord it wasn't my church. But uh, I, I was invited to this church to preach with some degree of regularity. I'd be there once a year or something like that. And I'd go and preach in this church. And there used to be this fellow, and he played guitar in the church, you know. And he would stand up at the front of the church, and he would strum his guitar, and he'd lead, lead the hymns. And, he, and he'd sit down. He'd sit in the second row. And he would take the chair of the front row, and he would turn it around so that the back was facing him. And then as the, as the preacher got up to preach, as soon as you announced their, their text, he put his feet up on the chair in front of him and laid back right asleep. Imagine behaving like that in the house of God. You know, I let him away with it once or twice. Then one day I thought, I'm not having any more of this. So the fellow put the chair around. I watched him pulling it around, put his feet up, put his head back, closed his eyes. And I said, hey, boy, wake up. He's startled. I says, this is the house of God. 
You don't fall asleep during the preaching of the Word of God. You know what? He didn't sleep during that sermon. He didn't sleep during that one. You see, you ought to pay attention when the Word of God is preached. Give ear to the word of God. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. You know, look with me in the book of Acts for a moment. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And I want you to see the example of Cornelius. Cornelius was a devout man. Uh, He was a Gentile. He was the first of the Gentiles, really, to be saved in church history. Uh, He and his family and his household Uh, Acts chapter 10 and uh, verse, uh, let's pick up in verse 30, verse 30 of this chapter. It says, and Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting unto this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, sorry, that was Peter, and, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Now I want you to notice that 33rd verse in particular. Here's this man, he has a vision, he's told to send for Peter, who's about 40 miles away down the coast, and to, Peter comes in response to uh, this request, and also comes in response to his own vision from God, and uh, Cornelius in speaking uh, to Peter uh, says this, Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Now here's how to listen to a Bible message uh, biblically. Here's how to listen to the Word of God. You see, when it comes to hearing the Word of God, we need to develop a regular habit. Notice Cornelius said, we are all here. I wonder, are you always here for the preaching of the Word? And here's the second question, are you all here? You say, what do you mean? Is every member of the family here? You bring your children along, the little boys, the little girls, the teenagers. You may say, well, pastor, my, my children won't come, so they stay at home. You know, my teenagers don't want to come, so they, they stay at home. I say, I say well, what, what do you mean they don't want to come? What do you mean you let them stay at home? Here's my question to you. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? I remember a lady came to church in England uh, and she came for a number of weeks and then she disappeared and, and I bumped into her one day. I said, I haven't seen you in a while. She says, uh, oh, she doesn't want to come anymore, pointing to the three-year-old. My sister, who's in charge? You or her? She didn't like it. But who's in charge in your house? You or your teenage son? You or your teenage daughter? Who's in charge? You or the children? Who's in charge? They say, well, I don't want to go to church. None of my friends go to church. I don't see any reason to go to church. I'm just going to stay home. Well, that's okay, son. You stay home. We'll go on. What are you thinking about? What happens if Monday rolls around? I don't want to go to school. You say to them, that's okay, son. You just stay home. Don't worry about school. You can be ignorant for the rest of your life. Is that what you say to them? Or if they say, well, I don't want to go to the dentist. That's right, son. Don't worry about the dentist. Don't ever go to the dentist. Just grow up gummy. 
I don't want to disturb you. I don't want to upset you. Have no teeth. Well, I, I, don't, I don't want to go to bed, says the little one. What do you say? Oh, that's fine. Stay up all night. We'll keep the TV on for you. You're never going to say that. You're never going to say it about school. You're never going to say it about the dentist. You're never going to say it about going to bed. Why do we say it about church? What message do we send out as parents? If we leave our children at home, if we say that's acceptable, what message do we send out as parents if we're at home when we could be hearing the Word of God? What are we doing when we capitulate to our own fleshly desires, our own laziness to stay at home rather than coming to the house of God? Uh, But, you know, again, every one of us ought to be here when the Word of God is preached. We need a regular habit of it. You know, in our home, it was always the way. Uh, Sunday came around, we went to church. You say, your children never object? Of course they objected. They got to be teenagers. They had days when they threw tantrums, but you know what? They still went to church. We went on holiday. We went to church. Our kids used to say to me, Daddy, we'll have to go to church. And I said, yes, we do. We'll be at church. I'd hunt down a church. Sometimes we'd drive miles on holiday just to get to church. <laughs> Find a good church. But we'd go. We need to develop a regular habit. We need to develop a spiritual attitude. We need to realize that when this book is read, we're in the presence of God. Notice what else Cornelius said there. He said, we are here, present before God. He didn't just say we're all here. He says we're here present before God. A young student one time went to hear the great evangelist George Whitfield preaching. He was less than impressed. It was a rainy day. The congregation were small in number and the young man was disappointed with the message and he felt that Whitfield was somewhat overrated as a preacher and he was looking around him. He saw the congregation was looking rather tired and drowsy and there were certain people who as always went to sleep who were enjoying their usual Sunday morning nap and suddenly Whitfield's countenance changed and he he began to look and, and speak like thunder. And he said this, If I had come to speak in my own name, you might sleep. But I have not come in my own name. No, I have come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. And bringing down his hand and foot so as to shake the whole house, he cried, I must and will be heard. You know, there are folks in this church that like a good sleep sometimes. I could name them, but I don't need to name them. I know who they are, and you know who they are. And if you're one of them, you say, are you talking about me? Yes, I am. When people sleep in church, they dishonor the Lord. When people sleep in church, they disrespect the preacher. When people sleep in church, they desecrate the assembly. When people sleep in church, they damage their own spiritual well-being. Now, I'm not talking about people who've just come off a night shift. Sometimes we've had people, and I've had people in churches who've come off a night shift. Doctors and nurses and so on. Bless them, they work all night, and then they come into church, and they're understandably tired. I'm not talking about somebody who comes out on Wednesday night, who's come in their working clothes, and they're sitting there having just left their workplace, You know, I say, God bless that person for making the effort. I'm not talking about that person. But I'm talking about the person who thinks that this is the opportunity for me to shut down, shut off, and catch up with a little bit of sleep. Look with me in Zechariah chapter 7 for a moment. 
Zechariah chapter 7. I want you to see the words of the Lord uh, to the people of Judah in Zechariah's day. Zechariah chapter 7. And here's why their prayers were not answered. That's what Zechariah is conveying to the people. Zechariah chapter 7 says, the, verse 8, the word of the Lord came on to Zechariah. And, and uh, we'll just drop down to verse 11. Having heard the word of God, it says, They refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone. See what it does to you when you won't listen to the word of God? Your heart grows hard. They made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law. Weren't they audibly hearing it? Yes, they were. Were they listening? No, they weren't. And the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets, therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Do you see what the Bible says of these people? That they refused to hear. They pulled away the shoulder. They shrugged. You know, sometimes you see a rebellious child doing that shrug on the shoulder. They stopped their ears. They put their fingers in their ears. We don't want to hear. We don't want to hear what God has to say, what the Word of God has to say. They refused to hear, and their hearts were hardened. You know, the church at Corinth, the problem wasn't sleeping. The problem was uh, gluttony and drunkenness. And Paul says to them, what have you not houses to eat in and to drink in? Well, let me say to you, have you not houses to sleep in? There's not a bed in your home. Because if you're going to sleep, you might as well stay in your own bed than come to the house of God. No, you have to have the right attitude, a spiritual attitude. You have to have a teachable mind. Again, Cornelius says this, that they'd come to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. He said, teach us, Peter. We're all here. We're all present before God. We've gathered everybody in. The whole family's here. And we're ready to hear something from God. We're all present. Teach us now. Tell us what you've got to say. Tell us what's commanded thee of God. And then he had an expectant spirit, did Cornelius. For he said to Peter, Thou hast well done when thou art come. He says, I'm looking forward to your coming. I've been expecting you to come. I've been anticipating what's going to be said. Is that how we come to the house of God? Do we all come? Do we come into God's presence? Do we come seeking to hear from his word? Do we come expectant of a blessing from the Lord? Or are we just doing it out of religious duty? Well, ho home it's Sunday. I've got to go to church. You see what I mean? Some people are going to have a very negative experience at the judgment seat of Christ. No, listen, we should be swift to hear. We should be slow to speak. That's what James says next in verse 19 of James chapter 1. He says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. What does that mean? Well, a lot of times folks get off and talk about relationships here and husbands and wives and parents and children and so on. But that's not what he's talking about. He is emphasizing the fact that we have two ears and only one tongue. And maybe that should tell us we're there to listen more than to talk. And the Word of God 
exhorts us numerous times about misusing our tongues and uh, speaking too rashly and too readily. In fact, James himself will uh, begin to speak about the tongue in just a little bit in chapter 3. The Word of God says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Again, Solomon says, He that hath knowledge spareth his words. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, Jesus warned us about, about every idle word that we speak. And James says, Let every man be slow to speak. Is this, you say, Is this not a caution about speaking too hastily? Well, maybe it is. Again, Proverbs 29 says, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There's more hope of a fool than of him. But in context here, remember, James is talking about the word of God. And he's specifically, I think, addressing those who would be teachers of the Word of God. Those who would rather teach than listen. Those who would prefer to talk than hear. It's a reference to those who were so eager to be teachers that they had no time to be students. Do you hear what I say? It's a reference that to, of, toward those who were so eager to be teachers they had no time to be teachable, to be students. In fact, in James chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, My brethren, be not many masters or teachers, knowing that, they shall, that we shall receive the greater condemnation. He says, understand this, those who teach will have their lives brought under greater scrutiny. They'll have their ministry brought under greater scrutiny. God puts more onus and responsibility on teachers than on listeners. And so James says, hold on here. Before you think to yourself, well, I'm going to teach. I'm going to have something to say. He says, you first of all be swift to hear and slow to speak. That's why I have an aversion to those kind of sit-around Bible studies. You know the kind of Bible studies I'm talking about, the what do you think and what do you think and what do you think Bible studies. What do you think, Mavis? Well, I think this. What do you think, Doris? Well, I think that. What do you think, Bob? Chicken. No, Bob, it's not a menu. What do you think? Oh, uh, my version says this, and my version says that. Here's what I think. Let me tell you something. The teaching of the Word of God is not about what you think. It's about what the Bible says. About what the Bible says. A number of years ago, I sat on a panel in a high school in England. And sitting beside me on this panel was two other ministers, one of whom was a woman Methodist minister. And the, ch the children who were 16 years of age were doing GCSE religious studies. And they, we were all there to answer their questions about our different views and beliefs. And one of the children asked the question, what about women ministers? That was fun. Here I am sitting right beside a woman minister. And so at this point, the third minister hadn't showed up. The Anglican minister, he hadn't come. So it was just the Baptist pastor and the Methodist minister. And so I said, well, I'll let the lady go first. What was a gentleman? And so she went first. And she said, well, you know, Jesus had many women friends. Women were uh, the first at the tomb. Jesus loved Mary and Martha, and on she went along that vein. And I listened to her. And then, she, then they came to me, and I said, Well, the Bible says that a woman's not to usurp authority over a man. 
that if a man desires the office of a bishop, he must be the husband of one wife. That's not possible for a woman. And, uh, and I laid down the scriptures. And then she pulled this number, and I, I, could almost, I could almost anticipate her doing it. She looked at this group of teenagers, maybe 30 teenagers, and she says this. She says, well, boys and girls, you've heard what I have to say, and you've heard what David has to say. She says, but what do you think? Now, honestly, are we going to take our lead from a bunch of 16-year-olds? Is, is that what we're going to do now? We're going to take our lead from this, this gathering of 16-year-olds who can't tell one end of the Bible from the other. And so after a period of silence, this young fellow stood up and he says, well, he says, I'll tell you what I think. He says, I think it's just a matter of opinion. And she said, exactly, it's just a matter of opinion. And I said, whoo, stop. I said, young man, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what she thinks. It doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what the Word of God says. That's all that matters. And if you think to yourself, well, I, I would like to have a, I want to have one of these sit-around classes where everybody tells us what they think. Let me tell you, that's a recipe for disaster. And I'll tell you something else. The Bible is very clear that God gifts the church with teachers. If God wanted us to sit around all hand-toed with our Bibles on our laps saying, I think this and I think that and my Bible says this and my Bible says that and I don't know and what do you know? If you think that's what God's Word is telling us to do, you need to go back and read it again because the Bible says that God has given to the church teachers. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come in the unity of the faith to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man and the measurement, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen, that we henceforth be not tossed to and fro and carried abroad with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man. When you sit around in those little groups talking like that, you're opening the door to everybody and anybody who wants to throw in any old doctrine they happen to like. And that's not the way we operate in this church. And that's not to say only the pastor's the only one who can teach. The other elders teach. Mark's preached tonight. You say, the mood he's in this morning, I'm glad Mark's preached tonight. Now Mark will be preaching tonight. Nigel will be teaching next month. Others from time to time we invite to the pulpit to teach and to preach if they have ability. I'm not saying just a pastor can teach. But what we are saying is that not everyone is a teacher. And we shouldn't lay open our understanding of the Bible for everyone to teach. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everybody throwing in their opinions. Because there will always be somebody who wants to dominate the conversation. There will always be somebody who will sit there and suck up everything that's said as though it's gospel. And there will always be an individual or two who are not walking with the Lord but will be happy to tell you what we ought to believe and what we ought to do. No, that's not happening. 
We'll rely on the teachers that God has given us, on the eldership that God has given us, on those who are under the authority of that eldership. The Bible says you should be swift to hear and slow to speak. And then it has one more thing that James says, you should be slow to wrath. Now, what does he mean by that? Slow to wrath. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, he's not saying that we can never have wrath, that we can never have anger. Some anger is righteous. That's why Paul said, be ye angry and sin not. But James is more pointed here. He's, again, he's speaking about a very specific kind of anger. When people are angry because of what was preached, angry with the word of God. A number of years ago, I had a man in my church. He was an amillennialist. He used to hate it when I preached on premillennialism. He hated it. I knew he hated it. He told me he hated it several times. But I didn't stop preaching it just because he hated it. How to keep preaching it? Because it's the truth. So this one Sunday as I was leaving the church, he said to me, your preaching makes me mad. And I said, really? And that was the end of the conversation. And I went out and got in my car and went home with my family and we had our Sunday lunch. Came back in the evening. Same guy was there in the evening. I'd be fair to him, he was there every service. (laughs) And he said to me, did you not hear what I said to you this morning? I said, what? He says, you're preaching. It makes me mad. And I said, yes, I heard you. He says, well, don't you want to know why it makes me mad? I said, not really. But I suppose you're going to tell me. He says, do you want to know why I come to this church? Now, that question I did want to know the answer to. Because he didn't believe anything the church believed. So I says, why do you come to this church? And then he paid me the best backhanded compliment I've ever heard. He said, because even though your preaching makes me mad, at least you stand for something. (laughs) And I took that. I said, well, that'll do me. And you know what? He and I are friends to this day. Uh, In fairness, I haven't seen him physically with my eyes. I haven't seen him in probably 30 years or more. And he still messages me every now and then and reminds me he's praying for me. Do you know what? When the Bible is faithfully preached, sometimes it's going to make us angry. Sometimes it's going to make us mad. You know, uh, maybe I've made you a little angry sometimes. Maybe I've made you angry this morning. Who does he think he is? He's no right to say that. You know, if so, here's a timely verse for you. Be slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You see, the word wrath there is not referring to an outburst of anger. It's not referring to someone who just blew their lid, who's, you know, flown off the handle. But it's referring to a deep resentment that simmers and seeds and smolders. It's about somebody who goes home and stews over it. Goes home and has the pastor for dinner. Sits there and what did you think of what he said? No, I didn't like what he said. No, I didn't like what he said either. 
It's, it's that kind of anger. It's an anger that perhaps goes unnoticed by other people, but God sees it. It's just there, just bubbling beneath the surface of our hearts. And therefore, it's all the more dangerous because it's privately harbored, secretly nursed, and it is in danger of embittering your soul. You see, you better take care of it. When the preaching of God's word makes you angry, you have to ask yourself, well, why is that? Why is that? What is it that made you angry? You know, is that a normal response? A number of years ago, I, I was at a conference and I had one of these little badges on. You know, you go to these Christian conferences sometimes, they give you a little badge with your name on it. So my name was on the badge. And a man saddled up beside me and he read the badge. He read my name. And then he said this. He said, are you the David Moore? <laughs> and I thought, that's interesting. I said, well, I'm the only David Moore I know. He said, did you preach in such and such a place in such and such a year? And I said, I did. He says, oh, he says, I remember you. He says, I've been waiting to meet you for a long time. I says, really? He says, I want you to know, he says, that particular evening you preached that particular message. He says, I was spitting teeth. I was so upset by you. I was so angry by everything you had to say. He says, I left with my friends and I mocked you all the way home. I, I uh, replicated your accent. I mimicked your accent. I, I, I made fun of you constantly. He says, but the Lord just wouldn't let it go. He says, and what you said just kept eating at me and eating at me and eating at me and eating at me until I got it right. He says, and I want to stop by and thank you for faithfully preaching the word of God. Now, that's the right attitude in the end. Say, pastors, has a preacher ever made you angry? Many a time. Many a time a preacher's made me angry. Many a time I've had my toes stood on. You bet he has. Uh, because that's the nature of this book. This book was never designed to make us comfortable. It's not a nursery story. It's not... The, the tales of the brother Grimm. It's not Hansel and Gretel. It's not something we tell you uh, that this is a good book for bedtime reading. No, this is a book that ought to startle us sometimes. It ought to catch our attention once in a while. It ought to make us think about the direction that we're taking. It ought to stop us in our tracks once in a while. Even once in a while, it should make you angry. Because from time to time, the Word of God finds us out. And it hurts our pride. And it damages our ego. And we don't like that. You know, in the book of 1 Kings, I, I read of one of my heroes as far as preaching goes. A very sort of little-known prophet by the name of Micaiah. And uh, Micaiah was a faithful preacher of the word of God during the days of Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And uh, 
Ahab had a series of, uh, of false prophets surrounding him, you know, false counselors who were just yes men. But Micaiah, uh, he preached the truth. And so on this particular occasion, Jehoshaphat, who was a godly king, was going to war with Ahab and he wanted to consult a prophet. And so he asked if there was a prophet in the land. And uh, I love what the response is. It says, And the king of Israel, that's Ahab, said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But listen to what he says. But I hate him. I hate him. Why? For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He says, I hate that preacher. He never has anything positive to say. He never has anything good to say. He never has anything uplifting to say. He's always got something bad to say about me. Micaiah is a faithful preacher. If you go on and read that passage, you'll find that out. Second Chronicles chapter 16, you read the same thing about uh, King Asa. Asa was, was preached to and rebuked by Hanani the prophet. And it says, Then Asa was wroth with the seer, with the prophet, and put him in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. Asa was made angry by Hanani. Uzziah was made angry by the priests of his day when he entered into the temple of God and thought that he could, uh, he could burn incense in the temple of God. Uh, Ezekiel was told that he was going to a hard-hearted people, a people uh, who, would, uh, who would give him an evil eye, a people who were rebellious, a people who were difficult. And yet God encouraged him to go nonetheless and preach the truth uh, no matter what. Listen to what is said in Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 3. said, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them. Thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, whether they'll listen or not, for they are rebellious people. Yet shall they know that there's been a prophet among them. Now listen to what he says. Thy son of man, be not afraid of them. Neither be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns be with thee. And thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words. Nor dismayed at their looks. Though they be a rebellious house. God says, you don't worry about what they say. Don't worry about how they look. You'd be surprised how some people look when you're preaching. Oh, some people look, give you daggers. Some people resent it, and you can tell they resent it. Some people are hitting on you. Well, you know what? That's not my problem. That's your problem. As long as I'm being faithful to... If I've offended you with my words, I apologize. If it's been my manner, I apologize. But if it's the word of God that's bothering you, I have a very theological term for you today. Suck it up, buttercup. That's it. Take it. Accept it. It's coming from God. Jeremiah had the same problem with Jehoiada. Uh, whenever Jehoiakim literally tore apart the word of God and burnt it. The princess of Judah didn't like his preaching either and had him thrown in prison. Uh, Herodias, uh, the wife of uh, Herod, uh, had John the Baptist's head on a charger. Why does she not like the preaching of John the Baptist? I'll tell you why she didn't like it. Because he condemned her relationship with her husband as adulterous and incestuous. 
So when the opportunity arose, she said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a charger. She hated that man because he preached the word of God. Look in Matthew chapter 15. It wasn't just John that was hated. Look in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 10. Matthew 15, 10. It says, And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. This is Jesus. Hear and understand. And notice again that word hear. He says, Listen, understand. Not that which goes into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the, out of the mouth that this defileth a man. Now watch what his disciples said. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Did you see what they said to him? Lord, Lord, you need, to, you need to ease up a bit. Don't be so hard on the goats. You know, you're offending the goats. Maybe if you could just be a bit more careful with your wording. Maybe if you could be a bit more ecumenical. Maybe if you could be softer spoken. Maybe if you could dance around the truth. I'm going to be honest with you. I have no time for preachers who dance around the truth. You've probably guessed that already. I cannot bear it. Preacher's supposed to be preaching the gospel. He should preach the gospel. He shouldn't dance around the gospel. Preach it. Jesus preached it. His disciples said, Lord, you're offending the Pharisees. Can you not ease up a little bit? And he said this. Here's his answer. Verse 13. Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. He said, let them alone. He didn't go over there with a Kleenex and say, oh, you poor Pharisees. I'm sorry about what I said. I, I take it all back. I, I've been so thoughtless and unkind. And here, have a tissue. No, he said, leave them alone. Said they can't handle it. Their problem, not my problem. Let them alone. They be the blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. You see, sometimes we get angry and offended by the word of God. But anger like that can never aid us nor serve the cause of Christ. James says it worketh not the righteousness of God. When God's word agitates our spirit, something is wrong in our lives. When God's word agitates. Now again, if it's the preacher who upsets you in his manner or in his, in his attitude or in his arrogance or any of those things, well, that's wrong. And if ever I've offended you in that way, then I apologize wholeheartedly. If it's been me, if I've been the problem, then I apologize. But if the word of God has been the problem, then the problem lies with you and not with me. One preacher said this, if the preaching rubs your fur the wrong way, maybe it's time to turn the cat around. If the preaching rubs your fur the wrong way, maybe it's time to turn the cat around. I don't come to this pulpit ever to stroke your fur. It's not my job. 
It's not me. If you thought you were getting one of those mild-mannered kind of polite preachers when you called me to preach here, you made a big mistake. No, I'm not here to rub your fur, to stroke your fur. But I am here to declare the truth to you. And here's what we need when we hear the truth. We need more speed. And we need less haste. That's what James is telling us. He says we need to hasten to listen and heed the word of God. But hesitate to teach it presumptuously. And harness your anger when the preaching touches a nerve. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And he sums up with this last sentence. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity, abundance of naughtiness. Naughtiness is a great old English word, which sounds like it's something not really bad, that bad. But it means malignity, malice, ill will, desire to injure. You ever been so mad at the preacher you'd like to punch his lights out? I've had people tell me that too. Had one guy tell me, every time you preach, I want to punch you. Okay. Ill will. Desire to injure. James says, no, no. You put all that aside. All the filthiness, all the abundance of malignity and malice. And he says, learn to receive with meekness, humbly, with humility, the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Brothers and sisters, I appreciate this was not an easy message to hear. And it wasn't an easy message to preach. But my, my question is this, was it true? Is it true? And if it is, what are we going to do about it? May God bless these thoughts to your hearts.